episode 265, Cloak and Dagger season one, episode nine, Backbreaker. Welcome to Level 7, a podcast about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a magical place. Hello and welcome to another episode of Welcome to Level 7. This is a podcast about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and uh, if this is your first time joining us, then you have quite a library of back episodes you can dive into. Um, And for this episode, we're talking about the penultimate episode of Cloak and Dagger. There's one more episode of Cloak and Dagger after this one, and uh, yeah. So well, there's one episode and and like a and another season coming sometime well, maybe it's not maybe. the last episode yeah well it's the last episode of the season okay yeah yeah so i'm ben ben avery and that voice you just heard was i'm Stuart, agent Stuart. yeah and so uh this is this is a podcast about the marvel cinematic universe and cloak and dagger is i would say the surprise hit of the marvel cinematic universe i mean this show above all others has surprised me with just how just the, the level of excellence. I, I was, I've been genuinely surprised. Not that I was expecting it to be bad. I just wasn't expecting it to be this good. I, I'll agree to that. I was the kind of expecting it to be a little bit more, um, teenage drama, one tree Hill mm-hmm. to, to, to bring yeah. a, bring something way back deep cut. I was expecting it to be a little bit more one tree Hill and not what it is. And what it is is amazing. Yeah. Sorry. One tree Hill fans. Well, you know, I, contrary to what you may have heard, I'm, I'm not a tree Hill fan, um, <laughs> but I do know enough about it that I, I can, I can have a almost intelligent discussion about one tree Hill, but yeah, I mean, I we were expecting teen melodrama. Maybe that's the the phrase to use. We were expecting teen teen melodrama, and instead we're getting teen drama. And the difference being, uh, this comes from a more a a deeper emotional place, and less of a pop culture emotional place. I don't I don't know if I'm explaining myself well. Um, as I make these overgeneralizations, but I, I mean, what I like about this show is that it's, um, it, it, yeah, it's the characters are teenagers, but they're dealing with some very adult things and not. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would, I would agree. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's not, it's not talking down to anyone. It's, if if this show is a conversation, it's talking with you, not down to you, or not trying to you know hit the lowest common denominator. And absolutely, and it's raising the bar of conversation too. And not only is it not talking down to you, it's it's putting some ideas in your face that that need to be discussed and need to be thought about. Yeah, the the saddest thing, honestly, for me, is the the idea the possibility of a crossover like for that to happen. There's a lot of pieces that would need to be pushed into place. And 
I would love to see it happen. I'd, I'd love to see something like that. And I'm not the only one because we actually have some news to talk about. Yeah, let's do that. The news that you are about to talk about, the context I saw it in was a retweet and a reply from Pat Oswalt. So, yeah, let, let me just re- let me just read all of it. Let me just read it all because that'll be, that'll yeah, be yeah, yeah. the the best way to go. Um, so Pat and Oswald put out a tweet. I really wish these two shows would cross over like in the comics. They're both so well written and acted and it'd be a joy to watch these casts interact. Hint. So Marvel's runaways uh, responded to that. And they said, remember that time you fell in love with the runaway Scott runner runaways squad. Let us jog your memory. Watch the first episode of Marvel's runaways after the season finale of cloak and dagger on freeform TV this Thursday, August 2nd at 8 PM central. Now, hopefully this episode will actually come out before that, but if not, <laughs> what's really interesting to me about this is the fact this was a show that was on Hulu and now it's going to be directly after not buried at midnight, but directly after <laughs> cloak and dagger, uh, you know, se- season finale. Yeah. I think, I think Pat Oswalt was replying to them. Like, oh, I, I think well, they tweeted first and then he replied to them saying he'd love to see the crossover, which we've been, we've talked about this. Um, there is in the comics, there's a nice two issue arc that uh features cloak and dagger dealing with the runaways and be, now in cloak and dagger's case they're mature and older uh and and they're able to kind of be able to uh you know relate to the runaways and their situations because they were once in a similar situation but in the context of the tv shows they would be peers meeting each other um but the interesting thing i mean it is interesting, but you know why they're doing it. I mean, it is, it's like when they did the discovery, uh, the Star Trek discovery two hour premiere on CBS. It's to get you to go to Hulu and watch it. But at the same time, they're trying to reach a very specific demographic that may not know about Hulu or yeah, runaways. Yeah. And, and so this is, this is great marketing. This mm-hmm. is great marketing. Um, now I'm already watching <laughs> Cloak and Dagger on Hulu anyway. So Right. So what allow what what it does for me is it allows me to put on my speculation hat. I have it right over here. I'm gonna put it on. Okay. Flip. So what if there's gonna be some sort of hint at a crossover in uh, in at the end of Cloak and Dagger? That would be really interesting. That would be very, very interesting. Yes. So like so for example, um, we had her, we had the detective, I forget her name. O'Reilly. O'Reilly um, mentioned her friend Misty. We all know that's Misty Knight mm-hmm. from, from Luke Cage. But then, you know, what if there was a, a connection, a small connection like that in in Cloak and Dagger where they're like, hey, let's go to Los Angeles or something. I hope it's not that because New Orleans <laughs> is, is a very interesting place in the show. But what if it's something of that nature? There is no reason for them to not do it. I would just say thinking strategically, it would make sense to do it like after season two of each series. You know, so in season three, have some, you know, have have the crossover in season three 
after we've had two seasons with those characters. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Uh, and, and then it can be done in a way where, I don't know, maybe it's a, a road trip kind of thing or <laughs> it's, a, you know, they hear about something out there. And so Cloak pushes his powers to the limit and teleports them out there or something like that. I was going to say, how far can Cloak teleport? Uh, I don't, I actually, I don't, I don't know. Um, he can go quite far and his powers develop quite a bit uh, right, right. later on. But right now, I mean, he's only, he's only teleported to places he needs to go. Right. It's, and it's been fairly close all within the city for sure. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how this show develops because I mean, what this reminds me of is um, Buffy and angel, right? So angel left season three of Buffy and had his own spinoff show. And then Buffy showed up for two episodes in season one of angel. And then, um, somebody from angel showed up in Buffy for two episodes or something like that, but they were weekly shows airing concurrently. So what this is going to do is cloak and daggers, a weekly show airing, you know, pretty, pretty regularly, but, uh, runaways. Yeah, it was, it, didn't they drop like three episodes at a time? No, they dropped three episodes to begin with on the first day. Or, and then it was a weekly one, oh, one episode so per week. So it did go to a weekly thing. It did. So you, so you could start putting in that sort of, uh, consistent buildup. You could. And, and honestly, what, because of the, the, how many episodes they're actually doing every season, uh, you know, first cloak and dagger and runaways, both, I believe it was 10 episodes in their first season. Runaways is getting, for season two, it's a 13 episode order. Mm, so they actually okay. get an extra three episodes there. Uh, but because of the more, I think probably more lengthy off season, uh, it'd be easy to bring the other characters in for a two episode arc, which is within runaways or, or the other way around, you know, bringing uh, the, the runaways characters over to cloak and dagger for a two episode or three episode arc within the season. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see, but it would be, it would be fun. Fantastic. The the other thing is, uh, CW is doing this every, every year with their DC shows. You know, they're, yes. they're doing like the event crossover week kind of thing. And I don't know how the scheduling works with that, but that there's a huge Excel sheet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, seriously, seriously. And and that's I mean they're not even just crossing over two shows they're crossing over what is it four, like four yeah. Yeah. yeah so it's doable it's just a matter of doing it and and what intrigues me is that there are especially with this cloak and dagger show it is there's precedent you know they they are laying the groundwork to do good crossover work yeah I think we're far more likely to see cloak and dagger runaways crossover. And the other thing you could end up seeing is uh, like a special two night event or like two, two hour episodes or something like that. That'd be really interesting. Again, after season two, that'd be really cool. But I think we're far more likely to see that than to see anybody from TV show up in the movies or in the Netflix. I, I think that as far as scheduling goes, we're getting the tidbits. We're getting the, it's all connected dialogue, but I don't foresee uh, you know, Claire showing up in, and, and in to runaways. be honest, I don't, 
know that she, I mean, she's kind of got her hands full <laughs> in New York, mm-hmm. right? So unless the runaways go to New York or Cloak and Dagger go to Cloak and Dagger, go to New York. I don't see them doing, I don't see them leaving New York. So that was one news item. The other news is that if you haven't already bought it, uh, infinity war came out, um, on digital download yesterday. Cause it is Wednesday. And so, yeah, you should all buy it and we can lift the spoiler ban. <laughs> we already lifted it. Uh, Uh-oh. In my heart of hearts, I can now lift it. Yeah, well, you may, I can't remember if you were with us when we when we lifted it officially. But, yeah, it, I mean, the Infinity War spoiler ban here on the podcast, honestly, it was a uh, self-imposed special rule. Technically speaking, anything we've talked about on the podcast is free game. But we wanted Absolutely. to give people time to see Infinity War. And now we're still giving people a little bit of time with, with Ant-Man, but not not much. In fact, I think maybe in our last feedback, last episode, we might have talked about some Ant-Man spoilers. So, yeah. And so if you are watching the Netflix stuff, yes, we haven't talked about it here. Because our spoiler policy is if we haven't talked about it, we're not going to spoil it if we haven't given an episode to it. So, right. so yeah, in two episodes, when we start talking about defenders, um, cloak and dagger is free game. It is, but yeah. Um, and that's, I guess maybe a unofficial news story that, uh, next episode will be cloak and dagger episode 10. And after that, it will be defenders episode one. Finally, <laughs> only a year late, but that's, you know, we do that. I was looking back through my Facebook feed and I've, you know, when we started this, we were just ending um, whatever. I remember doing this before where we <laughs> waited a year. We did. And we basically waited until there was a break in the regular. Right. Uh, yeah. The weekly airing of, of TV shows. So. Right. Which now there is. So now there is. Now there is. So backbreaker. That is what we are talking about right now. Mm-hmm. And. Hmm. There's there's some interesting stuff here. Uh, let's talk about the format of this show first. The format of this episode. Almost every episode has some form of formatting, I guess, for lack of a better word. To, literary technique is the thing I was thinking of. And in this case, it is literally a person explaining literary um, concepts. You think he's, te- he's teaching like a lit class or something like that? Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's the impression is he's teaching some sort of English literature class. Uh, he's really kind of diving into um, story by McGee or um, you know Joseph Campbell's the the hero the hero's journey. Um, right. I mean, the, the, in some ways, you're getting a free seminar in this episode uh, about screenwriting and. Or really, any kind of, of uh, storytelling that follows that that hero's journey, uh, which it's interesting when you start studying the hero's journey and start applying it to story, it's everywhere, and you can take the hero's journey and you can parse almost any story, and it follows the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. It's it's really interesting to me. Have Have you rewatched the um the Hero's Journey on on Netflix? I have not, and I really want to. I've done a lot of it's, reading about the Hero's Journey, but yeah. I haven't watched I haven't watched Joseph Campbell's uh, 
thing on Netflix that, yeah. It's, uh, first off, Bill Moyer is an amazing interviewer. So he just sits down and talks Mm -hmm. and this guy, Joseph Campbell, they just have a conversation and it's fascinating. Um, and they talk about, because he developed this hero's journey and talks about myth and legend and all that sort of stuff. Um, and it's very good. I highly recommend. Well, and the hero's journey, the mythic journey, you know, Joseph Campbell's, uh, mythic outline has become kind of a, a standard outline for any, any screenplay writing you're going to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, any screenplay class you're going to take is going to teach you, even if they say they're not, they're, they're kind of going to teach <laughs> you this. Um, and the other interesting thing is if you um, take a look at anything that says they don't follow the hero's journey with that kind of three act structure that get, that goes into it, uh, it's, it still does. Uh, almost and, and if there's any if they break away from the hero's journey at all although they even talk about it here it, as far as uh, what Delgado is teaching um, if they break away from it they still follow it it's just here's some consequences for breaking away from it and mm-hmm. it ends up exploring the consequences for breaking away from it and the other thing is I I use it uh, I actually use it when I talk with people about um, just like counseling and stuff. I, I don't necessarily talk exactly about it, but as I'm like walking through like problems with people, um, you know, this, the hero's journey is our journey. I mean, again, they talk about it here in this episode. That's the one thing I couldn't decide. Do I like this or not? Basically the professor is telling us what we're seeing. Like we are getting a lecture on the structure of this episode and this season of the show. My big problem with it was that it was the priest giving this lecture. Not that I have a problem with priest teaching because I think it's, you know, they're going to a Catholic school. Of course, the priest is going to teach something Mm -hmm. and not necessarily that I had a problem with the priest teaching literary, literary literature because that makes sense you know priests to you know learned men and all that sort of stuff i just wish it was someone else because i don't i feel like his his story was shoehorned into that his his teaching in the class was not like an organic thing it felt shoehorned what what part what felt shoehorned the him him Doing the teaching, him, sh- him in the class doing the teaching. Yeah. Oh, I, I didn't feel that way at all because what I felt was we were getting, like I said, here is a teaching, you know, and it's like some of the other frames that they've used for the stories in, in cloak and dagger. It's not necessarily happening concurrently with the story. Uh, in fact, I, Honestly, I couldn't figure out if it was happening before or after uh, the the events of the episode. I think it's before. But because of that, I didn't feel like it was shoehorned. I felt like this is uh, a lecture he gave earlier, and now we're seeing Mm. everything happen, you know, over the course of time. Um, But it's with that narration from earlier. And I I mean, I've, I've expressed this before. I am jealous of this show. Like to be able to tell these stories and, and watching this one, I, I'm just, I've, I've done a few stories where you're taking one, uh, like 
set of dialogue, but then putting it over in comics anyway, a set of images that are telling another part of the story. So you have these two things, two separate things that you bring them together and it causes them to mean something else or mean something deeper. And again, that's where this is cool. And I love the ideas that he's talking about. And I, like I said, I've not only sat in a class where they're talking about this kind of thing, I've taught classes about this kind of thing and it's really cool but then it's just really, I, I almost would call this episode instead of backbreaker, um, it's lampshader. Like this is just, <laughs> uh, you know, doing that. The, the trope is called hanging a lampshade on it where you're literally going to talk about the thing that you're doing. And maybe that's and maybe that's where I have a I have a problem with Delgado being in the class is because it again, it didn't feel organic. I didn't get the sense from him earlier in the season that he was a a person who studied literature in depthly, I guess I, I would much rather have seen him in a history class is what I'm trying to say. Well, because he gives it a history lesson in this, in this episode too. He, he does for one, but I also got the sense that he had history. Like he, I remember, I think it was in episode one where he did sort of give a little bit of a history lesson. Well, I mean, he definitely gave one gave one in this episode. And he did it well too. Like that was a that was a a way to teach history that is not often done where you are putting the person into the place and having them come up with the solutions and then examining your solution versus the historically accurate solution. But that's where I see him doing the priest job or the rabbi's job or the the philosopher's job is and yeah, you've got literature on one side, history on the other side, but it's him saying, okay, here's the thing. And how does it apply to you personally? You know, here is this, we're talking about the battle of new Orleans and the war of 1812 and how people continued fighting it. Even after the war was done, they mm -hmm. just didn't know that they didn't need to fight anymore. And so what is, you know, how, what can you learn from that episode of our history? And, and so he's doing the, you know, the philosophical teacher, the, the Socratic method of, you know, answering a question with a question. Uh, he, he's, he's causing people to, to think on one hand, it's in a classroom setting where it's a general application. And then in his office, it's, it's a personal application in a specific setting. I wonder – we're for certain he was teaching literature, right, and not like a philosophy class? I'm pretty sure that that's what, he's, that's what he's doing because he said we've been talking about this for a few days now and and he's bringing up, you know, literature. He's bringing – you know, brings up Odysseus yeah. and Dorothy. Then he brings up Rick and Morty, um, <laughs> which <laughs> I want to check the timeline on that because, uh, you know, how long has Rick and Morty been around? Oh my gosh, a very long time. Oh, okay, all right, all right. I, I mean, yeah, I've only become aware of it in the last three years, maybe. But well, that's that's about how long it's been around. Okay. Three or four years. Have you have you watched it? Yeah. <laughs> Is it worth watching? Yeah. I loved it. I think okay, it's all right. incredibly smart and incredibly witty. Um, it is also incredibly vulgar. Oh, okay. So, I, you know, your mileage may vary. Dan Harmon is very talented. I mean, if you were a fan of community, the early seasons, not the last season, um, 
and you're a fan of that sort of style of writing, Rick and Morty's right up your alley. All right. I know it's on Hulu. At least I'm pretty sure it's on Hulu. How do you want to break this episode down? Well, I think act by act, and it's pretty simple. Um, I mean, we could just read what what Delgado said and then just leave it at that because (laughs) he's pretty clearly saying, hey, what you're about to see is this. And so for act one, he's talking about um, the the call to action. He's talking about um, answering the call, meeting the mentor. You battle the threshold guardians and coming out stronger. But then something comes along, knocks them down and they regress and they lose everything. And this is where they become less than they were when we met them. That's kind of the the key element there is they were less than they were when we met them. And so in this act, everyone's dealing with the aftermath of the last episode. Tandy's finding solace in drugs. O'Reilly is mourning and investigating and getting kicked out of the crime scene. Tyrone and his parents find out about the confession and that the case has been reopened, but they're suspicious that anything is going to happen and they are not talking about it. Um, and yeah, so then from there, you know, talking about the regressing, um, Tandy is back to her old ways, and she is not just, uh, you know, she used to find young men, kind of seduce them, get them unconscious, and then would steal from them as a thieving thief who thieves. But she's not just stealing money and stuff. She's in a house with a guy who is apparently a fan of Stan Lee. Um, and I don't know if he's, if this is just, you know, it's pop art where it's just random dude who happened to be in the picture, or if this is a Stanley cameo where we're seeing someone who has some sort of notoriety in that world. Um, you know, one of the many Stan Lee's there's bound to be one who has some sort of notoriety, but it's um, actually a, it's actually a painting of that general from, um, (laughs) from, Captain America. I thought he would be bigger. Yeah, it, it's it's done in the style of a Andy Warhol kind of thing right. where you've got four images, same image, but they're um, with, with a different uh, color overlay on them. And um, it's it's is it, I think it's Marilyn, Marilyn Monroe that has the famous yeah. the most famous one like that. But um, yeah, she's not just she's not stealing money from this guy. She's stealing hope from him. That was a interesting twist because that's not something that was in the comics, right? No, no. There was something where you go into the cloak and when you came out, you like knew fear. Like it was bad to go in there and come out, but no. And if she can steal hope, that question that I have, can he steal fear? That's a, I thought that too. That's a very interesting question. It'd be interesting to see them interact with somebody from runaways or even other people, maybe a very hopeful person like she does later in the episode as I'm thinking about it. Okay. We're talking, I mean, Delgado's talking about regressing and the hero regresses and that's totally what's happening with Tandy right here. She is regressing. Uh, Tyrone's family is kind of regressing they're they're not being open with each other and they're not talking to each other and uh and then O'Reilly is is kind of regressing as she's retreating into her into herself 
Uh, meanwhile, we've got Evita's auntie who has been walking around uh, doing some sort of voodoo-ish kind of thing all around town. And when she comes in, she's tired, she's drunk, and she's speaking in riddles. And she says, there's nothing in all the world that would destroy us like ourselves. And Roxanne is digging up all that makes us this place special and asks Evita to find out from Tyrone if he's met the other in the divine pairing. That line about um, we, the only, like hurting ourselves, there's nothing in all the world that hurts us more than ourselves. That's a great line. <laughs> it's a great line. It is. I wrote this down and I need to go back and maybe rewatch it. Did she, I think she might have said there's nothing in all the worlds that will destroy us like ourselves. If that's the case, it is interesting. If it's the case, I wonder if it's just hyperbole. Well, there are. I mean, there are different worlds. There are. Yeah. And there are. Even if you just take the scientific planetary bodies, you can classify them as worlds, too. Yeah. But she lives in a place that there's literally nine realms of dimensions (laughs) stacked on top of each other. Right. And she lives in she lives in a universe where they have seen aliens invade New York. Yes, and not just coming from space, but coming through like a hole in space. Right. So, right. so she could be she could be talking about that. But if you also take the metaphysical thing, I mean, part of voodoo is being able to walk in a little bit of day and a little bit of night. Uh, so yes, so Act One is setting up everything, setting up the idea that we're going to see a regression, that the mm-hmm. heroes are going to become less than they were when we met them, because. And and this is, again, this is part of that mythic, the monomyth. If the hero is going to be a hero, they end up having to be born again. They have to rise up from ashes like a, a phoenix. Mm-hmm. And and for if you think about the phoenix, and the phoenix is a really interesting, it's a really interesting creature. And again, with with that kind of real life application of you know. The phoenix is literally burned to ashes so it can be reborn. And yeah, it's I'm, this, this episode. I, I just I can't decide if I'm you know having the guy speak to me directly about what's happening here. But speaking to me directly and hitting my sweet spots and talking about things that I love. Do I do I like this or not? I think I'm leaning on the side of yes, I do like it. If he had mentioned Star Trek, he would have pushed you over the edge, wouldn't he? Have? Oh, man. Yeah. But. <laughs> Uh, yeah, if this wasn't well crafted, then mm. you turn against it, you know, and and to to shine a spotlight on on your your thing. I mean, you want your stories, whatever you're doing, you know, no matter what kind of stories you're telling, you want it to have theme, you know, you want it to have ideas that it's exploring, and you want it to you know have recognizable theme. But you have to be careful that you're not just telling people. And in, in this case, they are literally telling you this is the theme of our episode, possibly even the theme of our entire series. Well, OK, so let's let's take a step back here. First, you know this stuff. You are steeped in it. Like you just said, this is a thing that you love and yeah, you yeah. enjoy. Um, random person watching Cloak and Dagger on TV may not be so focused on that. Well, but does random person want a lecture telling them? But see, that's where I think it excels because I, I think it's more than a lecture. 
Well, it is because it's it's a lecture that exactly uh, mirrors what's going on, well, not mirrors, but exactly reflects what's going on in the show. And like I said, if you are not familiar with this stuff, if you've not watched the uh, whatever the, the Netflix series with Joseph Campbell is, if you haven't read the screenwriting books, you've got the seminar right here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, anyone who's interested in writing uh, this monologue, for lack of a better term, is a great storytelling 102. It's not 101. You know, it's not like the first class. It's a simplified version. It's boiled down to very bite-sized, digestible chunks. It's not your great courses DVD that you're going to spend 80 bucks on. It's not. It might be one chapter on the DVD, though. I mean, this, this is not the great course. This is absolutely a chapter in the great course. This is the YouTube video you find. Actually, yeah. There might be something <laughs> no, to that. But what's great about this and what's great about most of these series is that I feel like they are doing – they are portraying things correctly, um, especially with Auntie walking around doing her, her thing. I really hope that is voodoo practices portrayed accurately um i feel like him teaching this joseph campbell you know man of a thousand faces hero's journey stuff is accurate um and so i like that i appreciate that later on in the episode um there's some catholicism that is accurate to at least what i've experienced so so for act two then he starts talking about how the regression begins with trauma and here he lists off a couple different things for trauma. All right. Um, this guy has some serious, serious um, some he, he may have like. Prescient uh, pre- powers, you know, where he's able to see truths that no one else can see, because the kind of thing that might come of this, first of all, it might be an unintended consequence of their newfound abilities. Uh, it would include possibly the death of a loved one. O'Reilly, an uncovered truth. Tyrone or a dream that once realized reveals itself as a nightmare, Tandy. And so, and the, the trauma shocks the hero and ushers in the same fears that held them back before. And so, yeah, so Tyrone, he's just sleepwalking through school until someone bumps into him and he loses it on this kid and just beats this cut kid up uh, in the hallway. Is that the kid who, Beat him up in the ball locker. It might have ballroom. been. It 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 might have been. Um, but the kid clearly did not do something to merit that kind of retaliation in that moment, anyway. And this is definitely not. He's not doing it this in self defense. You know, he he pounces on that guy and he goes after him. I mean, he is beating the snot out of this kid. Yeah, I mean, it, yes, he it is. I, I I will say, though, that if it was the kid from earlier, he kind of has it coming. <laughs> if I mean, not necessarily like it's not a, it's not a one to one relationship. It's not like he it just don't be bullies. That's all I'm saying. Don't be a bully. <laughs> right, right. And and Tyrone, what makes it possibly the worst thing out of, for the this situation is it's out of character for him. You know, yes. and so that's where, yes, you're, you're talking about it's not a one for one 
Uh, and, and part of that is because that's just not him, you know, and just seeing in the way he dealt with uh, Connors, you know, he dealt with Connors by creatively tricking him and, and going after him in that way. Uh, with this, it's just beat down. Yeah, it's out of character for Tyrone to do what he's doing right now. And that makes it even worse because, you know, this isn't good for him. Yeah, this may be the kid who did the, the locker room beat down. But as far as what it looks like in the hallway right now, um, it, it's the, it doesn't look good for Tyrone. Um, and meanwhile, mom loses at her work, too. And she just starts yelling at a guy laying into him. And so you got that kind of parallel thing going on. I thought for a second mom was going to be like, because when she said, when the when the lady police officer said detective connors um mom sort of went detective connors like she couldn't connors was the last name or something she tried to twigged on that and so i thought for sure in the next scene when mom's getting ruffled at the at the in the office connors was going to be sitting next to her or something like that oh but um, i think part of that the way i read that scene was this is the first time there's been a name put to this guy for them oh yeah. I mean, as far as they are concerned, the story that they were given is this guy does not exist. Now, later on, we find out that she didn't necessarily believe he didn't exist. But as far as what the story was that was given to them, this redheaded cop did not exist. And suddenly he's got a name for them. Mm -hmm. It's a very interesting situation, especially later on when you kind of realize they believed him, but they yeah. didn't want to say anything about it to protect him. That whole conversation between Tyrone and, and mom, that's a very, very interesting conversation. It is. But in the lead up to that conversation, even before they have that conversation, there's a feeling of, yeah, we already kind of knew this. And now it's been pulled up. And now it's... It, becoming a situation that puts our son in danger in the danger that we wanted to avoid this whole time. We've been trying to avoid this, this situation. And, and now suddenly there's nothing we can do about it because he did something himself. Mm -hmm. I wish, I wish Tyrone's dad, I don't want to say he's spineless cause I don't know that he is, but I wish he would, stand up a little bit more for what's right or for what, for what is conventionally known as right, I guess is a way to put it. Cause I kind of feel like he just takes a back seat to whatever mom wants. Yeah, he might, he might. I, I just feel for both of them, you know, for mom, I definitely feel like she's trying to protect and, and this is all done for Tyrone. And and for dad, I feel like he just doesn't know what to do. And and, and we might be and, saying kind of the same thing. Yeah. He he. I think what you're seeing as as spinelessness, I'm kind of seeing as um, just clueless, and 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 not not clueless in a well, that has a really bad connotation. But you see that he doesn't know what what do I do here? How do I well, solve I mean, this situation? It's definitely. A thing that, uh, you know, 
he's walking through something that that most people don't ever have to do you know and, and then you add this other layer on top of it being um you know a, a person of color or a black person and, and going up against a white cop that's a big deal you know yeah um and and so clueless might be the best way to describe it but not in like oh my god my pumps are so hot yeah yeah that's clueless. that's a really it's, negative connotation to put there it's just what do I do? Hopelessness right. is maybe the is maybe the thing. Ooh, maybe maybe Tyrone can grab Dad's hand and take away his fear. Maybe, although after this episode, I don't think that's happening. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid that they're setting up a situation where we're going to have Tyrone and Tandy on the run. You know, they've set up a great parent situation, and you almost this is another trope but a lot of times for young adventurers crossing the threshold means losing their parents or losing their mentors and then having some great power which might might yield great is it is it responsibility yeah, yeah well i mean that's that's one example of you know you can't have the adventure until you know, Uncle Ben dies or yeah. for, you know, another example would be um, Dorothy, you know, right. she gets taken away by a tornado. And so she has no um, parental units there. You know, Auntie M is, is not there for her. She has to set out on her own. Same with like the Chronicles of Narnia, where they're sent to uh, the professor's house uh, for World War II and which is a real thing that happened, but this allows them to, you know, step into the wardrobe and, and have Mm -hmm. that adventure. And, you know, so sometimes it's serious where, you know, uncle Owen and aunt Beru are burned to death by stormtroopers, or sometimes it's more, like I said, the, the, this fantasy twister that comes along, takes Dorothy away and, and drops her into an adventure. Well, but the idea of having an adventure without your parents too is a is a rite of passage. You know, how many times were you a little kid going, "I'm not, I'm going to run away" and and all that sort of stuff. So only maybe once. not you, only once. Yeah, put my boots on <laughs> and started walking down the the. This is when we we lived in the backwoods of Ontario, right? So we're <laughs> like I'm walking down the driveway toward this gravel road in the middle of the woods. And and get to the end of it, and my mom is just standing at the doorway watching me. And I get to the end of the driveway, and I realize, what am I going to do? <laughs> and so I had to turn around, and oh, I felt just so shameful. Like and, and it was more, it was more shame. Like I didn't have a good plan here, and now, and, and my mom knows it. <laughs> I'm just how, walking how old back. were you though oh it would have been well I'm assuming grade three so would yeah, be so eight seven eight or nine yeah yeah so I mean you you gotta you gotta think that that's part of growing up right well it is I'm and, gonna do my own thing yeah and and the other thing is is the loss of the mentor you know the mentor has to die because you're taking the place of the mentor or you know the parent when they die you're taking the place of the parent. Peter Parker starts caring for and, and taking care of aunt may after uncle Ben dies. Well, I mean, even, even in the MCU, right. Tony Stark starts taking care of, um, Peter Parker, even so much as to almost think of him as a son, 
you know, it, maybe yeah. not, maybe not a son, maybe a nephew, but still a child of some kind, a, a child that I have to be responsible for. And one way or another, uh, Peter Parker is going to have to come out from under that. And so, you know, maybe it's a situation where um, he's just in a different place. I mean, the, the, the title of the next Spider-Man movie is, uh, you know, a, far from home or whatever. Uh, and yeah. and so maybe he's just far from home or maybe Stark doesn't make it through Avengers 4 or, or whatever. Um, <laughs> but it's, it you know, the, the big... You know, Star Wars, the first Star Wars movie, especially, really follows the the hero's journey. Oh, you yeah. Know? And so you have the <laughs> the loss of the parents at the beginning, and then the loss of mentor with Obi Wan dying. Uh, that uh, in the middle there. that documentary on 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 Netflix was actually shot way back a million years ago at Lucas's house. <laughs> oh, is <laughs> that mean, the like, one? Is that yeah, what? Do, yeah. Does Lucas show up? I think so. I, I think uh, you know years it's, ago on it's, PBS, it's I a saw package of that. Of that huh. PBS documentary. It's a repackage of that. Because years ago I saw a, a documentary where George Lucas was actually talking through the hero's journey in using Star Wars and talking about Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. then he was also talking about, you know, some of the, the Buddhist mysticism that that he was tapping into with some of the, the force ideas that he, he talks about. And uh, it I mean, was Star- really interesting. Really, the, really the, interesting. The original Star Wars is the hero's journey. I mean, he he took he took what is it man with a thousand thousand faces or something like that? Mm -hmm. Whatever Joseph Campbell's book is, you know, and went, okay, page one, do this. (laughs) Got it. Page two. (sighs) Okay. But then you also look at the wizard of Oz and, and that does it as well. The wizard of Oz as a movie, as, as a book, it's, it's good, but as a movie, it really follows it. And it's interesting. So many people were involved in developing and creating and, and making that movie happen. It should not be as good as it is. Uh, but it is, and it's just, it's well, really interesting when you look into some of the, you know, cause I, I love that, you know, behind the scenes stuff. I've, I, I read a book recently about the behind the scenes of dark, dark crystal. I read a 790 page book about behind the scenes on Star Trek, the motion picture, which I don't know if I should admit <laughs> that in public, but I did. And it was fascinating because of the picture it painted of special effects, uh, companies in the late seventies and Hollywood mm-hmm. in the late seventies and, and just, and, and then also it's a movie that I, I, I adore. Um, have you ever read 50 year mission or listened to it? No. I haven't. So, so 50 year mission is two books that chronicles basically oh, I, yeah, from, I've people, heard of from people's like, um, sp- uh, interviews and letters and take, they take quotes and they try to put them in context about what's going on. And it chronicles, I, Star Trek from Gene's very beginning of thought process about it all the way through the 2009 movies. Well, the, the, uh, the motion picture book that I'm talking about was actually, it's a transcript of hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of, um, interviews with actors, special effects guys that was done while they were making the movie. Yeah. That's, that's just just fascinating. That's it is fascinating. And I mean, and, and, so, and same with Wizard so, of Oz. I've read a couple books about the making yeah. of the Wizard of Oz, and just like I can't believe well, they created something that's just hit so well. The for again, so long that, that well, but but that that monomyth, you know, where mm-hmm. and and some of it is just I think that there is a and Joseph Campbell agrees there there is a um, a natural inclination toward that kind of a story that we as humans want 
to experience. And it just, it, it hits us because of our human experience, seeing it in the expression of especially story, but, but art. Mm-hmm. So, uh, okay. So after Tyrone loses on this guy, Tyrone goes to the priest's office and Delgado's like, why are you here? And Tyrone's like, ah, and Delgado's like, you know, you need to tell me why you're here. Ah. And Tyrone's like, or Delgado says, well, why did, why did the war of 1812, uh, and what happened then? Then he, he's, what about the, the battle? Of, well, people, and, and this is where finally Tyrone gets into the conversation about, well, people kept fighting the war. They didn't know the war was done yet. And, you know, and this, this is where Delgado's like, you know, the war was over, but the battle still raged. And the question was how many people had to die before they realized they didn't have to keep fighting. And I'm talking about you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it's decent. It's good. I mean, the way he's, he's presenting that. Um, meanwhile, Tandy visits the Hesses. She's sort of hungover and she watches the Hesses and Mina and Ivan. They're happy together. So happy together. I mean, they're, they're literally standing at the table and just give each other hugs. And, you know, one of them says, imagine me and you, I do. I think about you day and night. It's only right because they're happy together. And uh, Ivan talks about how much how much he misses Tandy's dad and how he was the best. And Mina says, you know, hey, things are, you know, don't worry about my dad. He's getting better. And I want to give you a job working for Roxanne. (laughs) And and so she's uh, Tandy's just kind of floating in and out of things. She's not quite sleepwalking. Um, you know, Tyrone is just kind of in a daze and, and Tandy's just kind of floating in and out. And then finally she's like, Nope, going to touch you touches Mina sees Mina's hope. And is like, guess what? It's mine. And Mina becomes meaner and kills a bee because and that she's was lost the all saddest hope. part of this episode. Oh, absolutely. What's yeah. sad. I mean, it's, there's levels of sadness going on right. here. It's kind of, of like the onions <laughs> or parfaits. Yeah. Yeah. It's just this, first of all, that Tandy steals Mina's hope. Like, mm-hmm. That's just heartbreaking to see Tandy do this. And it's heartbreaking to see Mina lose it. And then Tandy's words as she walks out. Now, you know how it feels like Mina actually had anything to do with, with what happened. She has nothing to do with this. And we've said this before, Tandy's looking at a life that she lost when she sees mm-hmm. uh, Mina and Ivan and bad Tandy. But then the poor, innocent little bee who didn't do anything to anybody gets the book thrown at him. Yeah. Well, and what's tragic there is, you know, <laughs> Mina loves the bees. And right? she wants the bees to live and survive and she wants to study them. And... Not anymore. <laughs> Not anymore. Yeah. She wants to smash them. Yeah. So act three, we're talking about how regression is a trick. The heroes can't regress. They can't be who they used to be. And this is, you know, this is something that's that's just a universal truth. Like every moment you are becoming someone new. 
you know, through your experiences, through your choices, you know, you're becoming a new person and, and that you have sometimes small things, sometimes big things. Well, this is a big thing there. That person that they were before is gone forever. Can't come back and they can't undo the traumatic events. They can't uh, become who they were before and they make the desperate ploy or a desperate play rather to make everything how it used to be. So O'Reilly falling into the bottle. She's just drinking herself into a stupor. Tandy, she goes to get Liam out of jail. You know, you want to talk about trying to get things the way they were before? Let's get Liam out of here and get back with Liam, take him to the church. I mean, we haven't seen him in, what, five episodes? So that's got to be the way it was before. And that, I, I will admit He calls that her out on a, it. <laughs> yeah, that was a little lampshady. <laughs> what? A little... When 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 she's walking in and, and Delgado's talking about getting things back the way they were, this is what I'm saying. Like I can't decide. It, it, he's literally telling us. So she she actually says, you know, you know why I live here? Because I want to get married here, and I'm I'm feeling yeah. good. I've got hope. I've got dreams, uh, but I'm not doing anything to make my life better. And then she sees. Uh, what what Liam's hope is and and that's getting married and we'll come back to that. Meanwhile, <laughs> Delgado is making Tyrone whole books out on his arms until he's ready to talk and he's not ready to talk until he is ready to talk. And then when he is ready to talk, it's an argument. Um, Delgado says things can get better. Tyrone says, no, they can't. Delgado says they can't if you let them. Tyrone says, nope, because I've got everything I want and nothing is better. And I love this line from Delgado. That's because you defined yourself by the worst thing that's ever happened to you. Oh, I'm like, oh, yeah, man, this is really good stuff. But Tyrone pushes back. You know, you've locked yourself away behind a Bible and your empty speeches and you're in a sacred box all alone pretending to sense the presence of God, but you feel nothing. And. And then Hokey religions and, uh, and, yeah. <laughs> and, and Delgado's like, I'm not here to be alone. I'm here to find answers and tell all there are no answers. I know there's no answers. And when Delgado won't let Tyrone out and you get the impression that this is kind of a last chance for Delgado to help Tyrone. And if Tyrone leaves that he's facing, you know, suspension or worse or whatever. Um, but Tyrone takes a swing at him. They end up in a struggle. And so now he's touching Delgado. And so you've got, here's where we got this interesting kind of dynamic going on. Tandy is watching Liam get married to Tandy. Uh, Tyrone is in a dark forest and there's a car accident with a dead child on the ground. And the priest is sitting in his car drinking, which remember episode one, we saw him buying liquor and mm -hmm. we got the impression that this was not something that he should be doing because of the way he was doing it. Um, well, I don't know if this is a fear that he's afraid that he's going to do this or if this is something that has happened. Um, but that's the fear. That was my question. If, if this is a thing that has happened or if a thing that could happen. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. Or both. If he's, is he right. afraid that it might happen again? So we're cutting back and forth between those two things. And then Tyrone totally walks into the church where Tandy is 
And when I say walks into the church, I mean the imagined church, the hoped church. He sees her stealing Liam's hope, and that ain't good. (laughs) So the regression, trying to get back what you had, well, that's that's what Act 3 is about. So Act 4 is about um, we want to see the heroes at the best, but sometimes they can't. And when they can't be at their best and they give in, we might be seeing the birth of a villain. And when we hear that, we actually see O'Reilly. That's again, the lampshade might be this moment is why we needed to have all of this happening. Uh, Because he says we might be seeing something else, the birth of a villain. It's O'Reilly when he says that. That's what the camera is on when he says that. And O'Reilly overhears other cops talking about how great Fuchs was. And then Connors is suddenly there. And (laughs) he says what we were thinking. Do you really think your inadmissible YouTube videos would keep me behind bars? Yes. No. (laughs) Did you catch the, uh, the shot over her shoulder to the Billy club on the wall? Yes. Where you get the name of the episode? Yeah, yeah. Which is a, a club that was used in some riots or something, apparently, in the, in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and she uses that club then to uh, hit him on the back of the head. She gets pulled off of him as she's attacking him. But then all the cops in the whole place let him beat her up. No yeah. one helps her. Yeah. I... I- I think she might want to go back to New York (laughs) or she might want to get revenge. Well, she's because we might be looking at quote the birth of a villain. Oh, do we get to wait five years before we get to see him again? (laughs) No. Gravitonium. Yeah. 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 No, I think, I I think this is a little more um, planned out storytelling. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he, he gives her a, beat down and it's yeah, not he, good it's uncomfortable to watch and it's not it's it's uncomfortable to watch even if it were a even if it was like a, a male police officer but the fact that he's so imposing and she is so diminutive against his he's huge and she's little mm-hmm. and he is just knocking her senseless yeah so after that, we have Evita confronting Tyrone. Uh, hey, what's going on? Hey, uh, I can help. Hey, I can listen. You know, and he starts to tell her. And then Tandy comes and she's like, hey, stay out of my head. And Evita is really aggressive in her defense of Tyrone. He's, he's having a bad day. Leave him alone. But then Tandy touches her and sees Evita's hopes, which is to be a doctor and starts to touch Avita, Avita to take her hopes, and Avita just looks at her as like, "No," and pushes her out. That's really interesting. That's really interesting because nobody else has been able to defend against her invading their hopes. Right. No one else except for Ivan. They entered Ivan. And they interacted with him, and I think there was some memory of that for him later. Everyone else comes out of it, and they have a vague perception that maybe something weird happened. Mm -hmm. Maybe. 
but for the most part, it just leaves them unsettled. And I think the, the impression that I get anyway is they kind of come out of that saying, oh, why was I thinking about that? You know, I, I wasn't right. thinking about that before. So I wonder, I wonder why she, I wonder what, what her backstory is going to prove to be. I mean, it, it could just be that she's in tune with that voodoo, mm-hmm. but it could also be a little bit more because we are in the MCU where aliens have come from yeah, yeah, space. It's really interesting that she is aware of what's going on. And then she realizes, boom. Oh, you have met the other person in the divine pairing and she leaves. So here's where we find out Tandy's completely lost all hope. And Mm -hmm. just you want to talk about aggressive. This is where she goes after Tyrone and kind of the the mission statement of what she's saying there is if you don't hurt, you get hurt. And that's what she's doing here. She's trying to hurt him and is – successful i think a little bit but she keeps saying stay out of my head and i think tyrone has just the the perfect answer why would i want to be there i don't want to be there <laughs> and then when he leaves he's like all right see you in your dreams because that was a great again that was a great <laughs> turn of phrase yep so in act five we find out uh the question is what is the point of regression and this is where we get into the idea that we watch these stories, we listen to these stories, we read these stories, because we're not wondering, can these characters overcome? We're wondering, can we overcome? Can we ascend? That's what we're asking. So the visuals that are going on, Evita's carving, uh, a carving of Tandy. Tandy goes to the church, finds out that Liam has taken her stash. That's not good. Mm-hmm. Mina is talking to Scarborough because the heat has started spiking in their dig. And then there's a blowout and the guys who are working on it are now Ivan's terrors. That's what he called them was, was terrors. And so, yeah, yeah so they're, they're chasing after her. Uh, O'Reilly over here is a radio call, but something's going on. And then we get the conversation with Tyrone and his mother. And, his basic thing is if I don't stand up, then, then, you know, I, I need to do what's right. I need to stand up. And her basic thing is I already lost one son. You know, you want to do what's right, but I don't want to lose you because you're doing what's right. The basic idea here is I had to do something when I did this. And she's saying, we knew that you were telling the truth. Or if you were telling the truth anyway, we were scared of what would happen if we followed through on that. What happens to the little boy who saw this thing happen and they want to now tie up the loose ends? We were afraid and we wanted to keep you alive because if you were dead or alive, it meant nothing to them. But it meant something, obviously, to his parents. And I think this conversation is an important conversation to show on TV in this day and age. I mean you have an affluent African-American family. You have – um, who are still dealing with this thing. And this show has not shied away from any of that. So again, I think this is a very real, it's very honest. They're portraying these things, these emotions, these um, problems that people face all the time. They're portraying them accurately. Yeah. Yeah. And what it does is it also takes the, 
it, it takes the shared experience of say parenthood and allows allows us to see inside someone else's experience within that. And so, yeah, can I relate exactly to what's going on there? No way. I can't. I just can't. I don't know what it's like to have to worry about my kids uh, walking the street and, and worry that they're going to get arrested just because they look like what they look like as they're walking the street. On the flip side, I can relate to these fears because I do have my own fears about my children. And so mm -hmm. it takes something that is unrelatable, makes it relatable. And again, this is where fiction does what fiction does well. It allows you to step inside someone else's experience. And so this is my lecture right now about what's going <laughs> on. But it, it allows you to step inside someone else's experience, to understand who they are. And I think we talked about this. I, maybe it was with... Uh, with Samantha, but the idea of, um, to know someone, you have to love them, you know, you, to really know someone, you have to allow yourself to get to know them and to understand them. And yeah, and that's the, the, that, the phrase, you know, to know someone, you have to love them. That's a, from Ender's game where he starts, um, Actually, it might be from the sequels, but where he starts trying to understand the aliens that they're at war with. And he to truly understand them means not just knowing about them, but knowing them. And, of course, he's doing it in, in, in that because there's a war going on. But, yeah, this is, this is what fiction does well. And mm -hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a good thing. Uh, and they're doing it well here. This ends with the police coming. We found out that um, Tyrone and family live on Solomon Road. Okay. Because that's the the car said uh, when when the when Detective O'Reilly was there, she overheard the car say, "We found the perpetrator who killed Fuchs, and the the number the house number is blah 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 Solomon yeah. Road." And then they showed yeah. up there. So. Well, and they're, they're yelling from outside the house, you're under arrest for the murder of Officer John Fuchs. Mm -hmm. And so he goes out the window and doesn't teleport. He just goes out the window. Um, did they start shooting at the house? I I think so. I think – and this is where I'm wondering, is this – is his mom and dad, are they, are they going to die here? And so now he's on the run. He's he, He's homeless. He's – because that's where Cloak and Dagger, the car, the comic series, uh, they are parentless. They are runaways. Mm. And so they are on the streets of New York all alone together. Um, and, and they have their powers together. But they, they end up uh, – their, their primary home is uh, a cathedral where um, the father Delgado lives and works. And so he becomes kind of their their protector and their their mentor in some ways. Um, in other ways, he just tolerates them, allowing them to to live there. But that's where I'm wondering: Are we moving into that territory where Tandy's going to lose her mother and and Tyrone's going to lose his parents, and now they're alone together? Well, it's certainly there's enough pieces on the board to make that assumption, to make those assumptions. Well, yeah, with the cliffhanger of this episode, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Which, let's get into now. The other side of, of the cliffhanger is Tandy goes home, and the water delivery lady is there. 
and uh, we also get dialogue over over it saying um, when the rubber hits the road and the tire blows out we ask ourselves a question at the center of all myth who are we um, and the question is who is she because water delivery lady says you have to tell the count of three and you know I'm going to do it you know I kill people so I'm just going to you know count of three come out here or I'm going to kill your mom because that lady's evil <laughs> Do you think she's Hydra? No. Oh. I think she's a skilled uh a skilled cleaner and assassin. I don't think she's delivering delicious sparkling water. I think she same. also does that sometimes. <laughs> On the side. Yeah, yeah. I mean I mean she's not a completely horrible person. I mean nobody's a hundred percent bad. <laughs> There's 1% that delivers sparkling water. Sparkling water and takes pride in her job giving right. sparkly water to the people of the world. And assassinating them. And then killing them <laughs> before they even have a chance to drink it. So she only ever sells one bottle of water. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just take that one back. Thanks. Yep, yep. And then cleans the blood off it. And then, yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a great scheme. I mean... <laughs> If you can, if you can take care of your fellow man, and also make a little bit of money, eh, yeah. Now she's making more money by killing her fellow man. But. Well, but this is what's taxable income. That's, the other that's stuff true. isn't taxable. This that's is true. what the IRS sees. Yeah. So she's laundering the money by pretending to to deliver all of these. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So yeah, that like I said, this is where I'm worried about where, where the show is, is taking us. And, um, when I say worried, I, I actually think there's a lot of good storytelling potential there. That's not a, it's not a negative thing. Uh, as far as that goes for the storytelling, it's yeah, obviously do, do not get me wrong. The death of two people's parents is a bad thing. It is a negative thing, but yes, but, but in the context, thing that, it's a thing that pushes people forward. Like we were saying earlier. Yeah. So Roxon in Runaways, was that a thing? I'm pretty sure it was mentioned, but I don't remember how, how deeply. Uh, if only there was a podcast I could go back and listen to. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> I, I, I really – maybe we should be paying more attention, but uh, – <laughs> Well, okay, so so you know my speculation hat back on. Um, if if their intention is to go out and defeat Roxon, and somehow there was a Roxon connection to um, in the in the Runaways, it naturally makes sense that they would end up together at some point, maybe in season three of both shows. Yes, absolutely. There there are many different ways they could use to bring mm -hmm. them together. Uh, I think that's just that's just one, and it's not a bad one at that. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Well, we've got one piece of feedback, and this is from Agent 084, and the subject is Cloak and Dagger 1.9 feedback. And he says, I had toyed with the idea of sending a voicemail of me screaming for 10 minutes, but I decided on written feedback instead. Jury's still out on which method would convey my thoughts better. Wow, that last 10 minutes. 
It was a shockingly quick turnaround from me being on my knees praising the writers for the scene between Tyrone and his mom to me throwing my fists up in the air, cursing the writers for that cliffhanger. Mm. I originally laughed at logistical ridiculousness of the theory going around that Kingpin is behind this all. However, pinning the murder of one of your problems on your other problem is classic Fisk. So, hey, at least it makes sense. I hope Water Woman gets a light dagger thrown at her face. Too violent? Oh, well. (laughs) Going back to the penultimate scene in Tyrone's kitchen where an invisible person in my room was chopping invisible onions. Wow, (laughs) that was moving. I had no idea who was more right in that conversation. It circled back nicely to their talk in episode one and really made you rethink the idea of selfless heroics. Tyrone is willing to put his life on the line for what he believes in, but he hasn't really given much thought to who else has a stake in his well-being. He's basically Alexander in Act 1 of Hamilton, but without the ability to rap. And his mother's <laughs> and his mother's fear is so understandable and relatable, but how many principles is she willing to let go of in order to keep from losing more of her loved ones? So many thoughts about Tandy's new vice. So she takes hopes. That's dark. Can Tyrone take away fear? That sounds like a switch from their comic powers, which is interesting. She's always trading one drug for another, whether it's physically snorting stuff or living a fake talk with her dad over and over, or this newfound ability to take a person's hopes for just a momentary high. This is obviously the worst version of a drug because it directly involves harming others. And I hope she doesn't take that addiction with her into season two. Speaking of season two, nice how they telegraphed O'Reilly's fate by cutting to her right as Delgado is talking about, quote, the birth of a villain or something like that. Is the backbreaker stick a weapon of mayhem in the comics? If so, it was a nice touch. And if not, it was still nice to see Connors get hit with it, even if I wish it had lived up to its name. How dirty were all those cops if absolutely zero of them stepped in to stop Connors from beating on O'Reilly like that? I mean, self-defense only gives you so much legal right to harm someone. I imagine once they're down, you can't just keep kicking them. Even before the altercation, the fact that they welcomed him back after the man who helped arrest him ended up brutally murdered was just shady. Shame on you, New Orleans Police Department. Let's see. What else? Oh, Evita. That was a pleasant surprise, her being the first person to not only acknowledge their the presence in the Soul Swamp, but actually stopping Tandy. I have no idea what they're planning with her, but I'm intrigued. Season two already seems pretty full with antagonists. But if they MCU Mr. Jip into Miss Jip, that might be an interesting dynamic. Do I have to say much about Father Delgado? Not really. Sad that his daughter or some girl was killed, supposedly, by his own drunk driving incident. Sadder that we know he's still drinking. Or was that accident something his he fears is going to happen rather than a bad memory? We saw Connor's fear to be pretty much just the memory of shooting Billy, but most others see a possible future in the swamp, not the past. They probably won't touch on it in the last episode, but I hope they give us more on him next year. Okay. Sorry, guys. That was all. Can't wait to see how this wraps up and thank you oh wait for once again giving us some bullet points that we hadn't talked about yet and that's what makes feedback valuable is love or or more valuable yeah thank you so much guys for bringing in feedback yeah yep all right well that's that as they say so uh this episode it just 
all the parenting stuff, it just makes me think about, um, you know, my own kids and my own family. Like, like I said, you know, you, you can relate and my kids are growing up so fast. I mean, I was just remembering when my children were born and, uh, they first put my, my, my first daughter into my arms. And I remember the first words I ever said to her. I just looked down at her deep in her eyes and I said, Hey, strangely aggressive, tiny girl. Thanks once more for listening. You've heard us. Now we'd love to hear from you. Just go to welcometolevel7.com slash feedback to contact us through our website. You can also leave us a voicemail by calling one seventy seven fifty five level 7 You can also join the conversation by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com slash welcometolevel7, or by following us on Twitter where we are level7pod. Welcome to Level 7 is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to help you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.m. You know, sometimes in our post credit, we talk about the the quote we could have done, Stuart. Mm-hmm. I, I thought about doing a little bit longer one. You want to hear it? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's talk about what makes a hero. The best heroes, the ones we love and cherish, they follow an arc. Odysseus, Dorothy, Rick, and Morty. They've all walked the same path. They've answered the call, met the mentor, and battled the threshold guardians. They've come out of it stronger than they've ever been. But toward the end of that arc, when the rubber meets the road, the tire blows. Something knocks them down hard, and that hero regresses. They lose everything. They become less than they were when they met them. Because, well, if a hero is going to be an actual hero, he has to be born again from nothing. A hero's regression often begins with a trauma. One that in some manner, as a result of their actions, an unintended consequence of their newfound abilities, the death of a loved one, an uncovered truth, or a dream that once realized reveals itself as a nightmare. That trauma shocks our hero and ushers in those same fears and insecurities that held them back before the journey began. But those fears and insecurities that haunt them, they're now amplified, and our hero, now more powerful, can use that power to tear apart their own life. When everything is taken away, What's left? It's important to know that regression is a trick. Just like most aspects of story, our heroes can never actually regress. They can't be who they used to be. That person is gone. That person is dead forever, and they're never coming back. And our heroes, they just can't hit the reset button. They cannot undo the most traumatic events of their life. But many heroes find themselves trying to do exactly that. And they dive back into the very life they tried so desperately to escape. Whatever it takes to stop the pain, whatever they can do to quell the regret, this is a desperate play to make everything how it used to be. 
Now, as audiences, we naturally want to see our heroes at their best. We root for them to save us all, to pull themselves out of their downward spiral. But sometimes the allure of the downward spiral is too strong. Sometimes our heroes are too weak. When that goes down, one of two things can happen. We either witness the death of our hero, or we realize we've been front row to the origin of something else, the birth of a villain. By now, you may be wondering, what is the point of regression? Why watch our hero go through any of this? Because the story isn't about them. It's about us. Heroes make mistakes because we do. They do the things they regret because we do. And like most any story told, myth is a mirror, one we hold up to see ourselves more clearly. That is the catch-22 of the human condition. The inability to see ourselves for who we are, we can often only do it through someone else's eyes. And when we do, we may not like what they see. So as we watch the rise and fall of our heroes, the question we ask should not be, will they be greater? Can they ascend? No, when that rubber hits the road and that tire blows, the question we should ask is, will we be greater? Can we ascend? When the rubber hits the road and that tire blows, we will ask ourselves the question at the center of all myth. Who are we? That, that's the quote I could have done, Stuart. <laughs> Stuart, you awake there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm yeah, here. Okay. That was a long quote. <laughs> yeah, it's just a little bit longer than one we chose. Yeah, just just a long quote. Yeah, yeah. If and, you're still here, <laughs> and, and now you have it all in one place. If if you want that, and you know to, you know, and be, and be your Ben's actually of- Ben. Yeah, that's right. Ben's actually putting together a master class on screenwriting, and that's basically what he's just going to give you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not. That's not, <laughs> not true. Um, but yeah. Uh, it's good advice for your story. It's good advice. So yes. If you're writing myself, a story. I'll be honest. I found myself as I was writing this, this dialogue down, I found myself thinking about a story I recently wrote. And I'm like, does this follow this well? Do I really take my heroes down at the very depths? Not quite the depths that Cloak and Dagger are going into. Right. right. All right. Later, man. Later. Have a good night.